Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. When I started using drinking when I was 12, I needed something to cut that edge, man, because I always say living in my skin before I got sober, I was like wound with saran wrap, really tight, really tight. And was just really uncomfortable being me. My guest today is named Donna Spear. She's an actress, model, writer, recovery coach, and much, much more. Welcome to the show, Donna. Hey, this is Donna Spear. Hi, Brett. Hi, welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited, excited to have a conversation with you. We've been talking a little bit throughout the week on, on, uh, Instagram and getting to know each other a little bit. And I'm excited to have you on, uh, 35 years sober. That is, that is incredible. <laughs> I never thought I'd live this long. I never thought I'd live long enough to be an old timer or, or one of those old people sitting in, sitting in the room. You know, I, I, when I came in and got sober, I would look at people who had my time of sobriety and I'd go, God, they're old. You know, I just go, whoa, there's, they've been sober longer than I've been alive. And now it's me. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I look or feel that old, but I am. It's just, you know, all of a sudden you come in and you don't drink, you don't use, and then you get all the sobriety. And it's like, what happened? I don't know. Here I am. I didn't die. I didn't die. Yeah, I feel you. I didn't think I would ever make it out of my 20s alive. So hopefully, God willing, a few years down the road, I'll be in the same boat as you with 35 years going, how did this happen? Right. I never thought I got sober at 23, at 30. I never thought I'd live past 30. I had no plans. And then I went to 30. I went all my 30s, all my 40s, all my 50s. I can't even believe I'm saying that. And now I'm 58 and I'm still sober. And I'm like, I have a son who's 27, right? He's never seen me drink. He's never seen me use. And I look at him, I go, how did we get to be the same age? Because I think like I'm 27, like when I came into the program. And for for everybody that's at home listening, because they obviously can't see you, but you, you definitely don't look your age. You look, I would say, 36. So you got sober when you were... In diapers. Thanks. Yeah. I was, was 23. You know, you, how old were you when you got sober? I was 20. I was 23 as well. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's young. That's young. We're, we're kids getting sober. And hopefully, hopefully when my kids grow up, they won't ever 
they'll have that same experience of never seeing me drunk or high. I mean, I have a one and a half year old and another one on the way. And so far, so far my wife's never even seen me use. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. That's huge for people like us. That's it huge. Is, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, I look at my son and I, I mean, I was talking earlier, I have a girlfriend of mine that I meet every day. I have a home group on Saturday and, uh, we go out to coffee and I said to her, I said, you know, my son doesn't understand that when I drink and use, I don't come home. You know, I just disappear on a run and he's never seen me like that. So he doesn't know that person. He doesn't know that person. He's like, you know, Donna, your mom. In fact, you know what? He sent me, I'm going to read this to you. He sent me the coolest text. I have a great son. I'm very, very fortunate. And it's only through getting sober. I'll read this to you. This was really cool. He sent this to me the other day. He goes, he said, you're a cool mom. Whose mom has a book and helps all the people? Only mine. I love you, mom. I'm like, where's that come from? You know, left to my own devices. I don't come home. You know, I'm one of those moms. So any any day above above ground, he doesn't see me drink as a gift from God. You know, I'm just grateful. So mm. yeah. That that's an incredible text. And I hope I hope one day to get messages similar to that when my kids are a little bit older and kind of understand what's going on. But I'm in that same boat with you though, because I've uh I do another show that's a live stream and we had one of the, somebody in the comments the other night was saying to to one of the other co-hosts like oh he looks like he's high and we kind of addressed it it's like if we were high we wouldn't be here if i was high you wouldn't hear from me you wouldn't know where i was like i would be gone right i'm not one of those that can put on a put on a show and pretend like i'm not using like when i start using i don't care i'm gone you i won't be at work i won't be at home you won't know where i am my phone will probably be at home and i'll just disappear so right like, like clear that up for some people right right either i'm crawling crawling around on the floor looking for drugs or i'm just missing it's yep. one or the other there's no in between here for me there's a, it's not pretty it's not pretty so i get it that's really funny that's really funny so very cool yeah i'd love to hear a little bit about about your story you got sober when you were young what did it look like before you got sober what was that moment that that you realized like i got to do something different i can't continue on this path i can't continue to live this this life and use and drink and all that. You know, it's funny. My story's like everybody else's. It's just sprinkled with a lot of Hollywood, you know, in a lot of 80s. Um, you know, I come from an average family, man. Mom and dad and a whole bunch of kids and little yellow house and little front porch. And, you know, we looked really good from the outside and all that. And, you know, I always say dad didn't drink and mom needed a drink you know, <laughs> to take care of all those kids. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely was born alcoholic. You know, I was edgy and uncomfortable and irritated and irritable and um, and the outcast and the outsider and the pretender. You know, and, and that was me until, you know, and I started using drinking when I was 12. Because I needed to, man, I needed to, I needed, I needed something to cut that edge, man, because I always say living in my skin before I got sober, I was like wound with saran wrap really tight, 
really tight and um, and was just really uncomfortable being me. And and I know today it's a lot because I was extremely self-centered because I assumed you were all talking about me and looking at me, you know, which you weren't, but I assumed you were because I was just, I was so scared. I was a scaredy cat of everything. No, I really was. I was just scaredy cat. But you know, I started getting high at an early age. And once I found getting high, you know, um, I immediately clamped onto it. I mean, I was walking to school every day smoking weed at the age of 12. And this was way, way, way back when, you know. And uh, um, and and that's just how I found my way to survive through life. You know, my mom always said I wasn't built with a coper. Mm. You know, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I had no coping skills. And so, um, you know, the reality for me was, is that um, one, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty textbook 12 step because when I got sober back, back now, I know a lot of your listeners are probably really young, um, but like when I got sober back in 1987, um, there weren't a lot of other options except 12 step. I mean, nowadays you can get sober. There's so many other options, but for me back then it was only, only that. And so um, when I got here, what I, what I was taught and what stands true to me today was that as soon as I take a drink and a drug, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And that happened as soon as I started getting high as a kid, because I was the type of kid that, if one was good, I needed more. And I don't know why I think that way. I don't know why I'm bodily and mentally different. It doesn't matter. I'm just that way. I was born that way. And so, you know, what? As, as, as a young kid, I started getting high and I started running with the wrong crowd, though I was a really bright, smart student. I was always put into higher classes, you know, in, in school. I was always put with the upper class, the next class up. But it was it was odd for me. And so anyway, moving along, you know what? So when I got when I got around um, 14 or 15, when I got into high school, I was dumped from a small elementary school into this huge high school of like 4,600 students, man. And I was just lost. I was lost and I was this pretty girl. And and, you know, and my drug and alcohol abuse really bloomed. And, and, you know, honestly, I got sexually violated at about that time. And um, I write a little bit about it. I write about it in my book. And, you know, what happened was, is that I started screaming for help. And um, the suicide attempts started happening. And I started getting locked up in psych wards. And I started overdosing a lot, a lot, because I didn't have that switch to turn off how much drugs and alcohol use I was using. Yeah, um, that was normal behavior for me. And so I went on like that till I hit about um, 16, 17 years old and I was modeling and acting. And, you know, I don't know. Did you read my bio a little bit? Did you glance through that a little bit? Yes, I did. Just barely. Okay. So, you know, that part of my book, I'm a Bill Cosby survivor. Right. And it's funny because your generation I'm, I'm going to assume, okay, excuse me for saying you, I'm telling you how you think and feel, but my son's generation only knows Bill Cosby as a rapist. They go, Bill Cosby, oh yeah, he's a rapist. He, he's been tried and he's like, whatever. But back then, 
when I met him, he was America's dad and he was, you know, he was the spokesperson for Coca-Cola and for pudding and for Rolex and all these huge corporate conglomerates that were like mega bazillionaires. And he got a hold of my picture and one thing led to another. And, you know, I was just this young kid and he groomed me. And for the next few years, um, from the age of 60, I didn't even have my driver's license. It is a long story, but make a long story short, I was groomed by him and so was my whole family. And, you know, as we find out later on in life, especially with a lot of girls I work with now, a lot of them have gone through sexual trauma, sexual and physical trauma. So, you know, my alcoholism ran rampant. I went straight from that. I ran right into cocaine in the 80s. And, you know, I can tell you a little bit about the end of my cocaine use. Um, my last cocaine use was seven days in the bottom of a closet. You know, a little social cocaine smoking. And back then we called it freebasing. We didn't call it smoking crack. You had to make it yourself. You couldn't buy it. You know, and that's when people were catching themselves on fire. And by the time I got to treatment at 18, they didn't even really know what to do with me back then because they didn't have a whole bunch of treatment facilities. Um, I had married my drug dealer. I was on my first marriage at 18. And, uh, you know, I got dumped into the 12-step rooms. And, you know, back then, um, NA wasn't super, super big. It was there, but it was they hadn't even written their first manual. They didn't have a book. So I'm going into NA and I'm like going, hmm, you know, I don't really belong here. And I'm going into AA and I'm not alcoholic. I'm like, I don't belong here. And so after about a year sober, I just blew out the doors and started drinking hard. And, and you know, my modeling career took off and, you know, I started making a lot of money. And, you know, what I did was I just blew the doors off, honestly. I just blew the doors off. And, you know, I, I have a tendency... Um, that I found out after I got sober, one of the things I really like to do is I like to get married when I drink, right? I like to get married and um, I like to turn my life and will over to somebody so I can get resentful at them and I have a reason to drink. And so basically I like to be a victim. It's the truth. And so I think by the time I hit the doors of the 12-step meetings, uh, when I hit 23, I think I was married on my... Second, I would say second and a half marriage, you know, I got married in Mexico and, um, you know, I, I met someone at church cause I was dying on the inside, but I, I didn't know really to go back to the program at that point. And, and, you know, I was a violent drunk. I mean, I was happy, but I threw things and, you know, I come from the loud family. I come from the loud family. My mom my dad was a screamer and my mom was a thrower. And those were the tools I took into my relationship. So anyway, so at, at 23, you know, um, my husband didn't dig that I was dating other men and, you know, I was flying around, I was making a ton of money. And, uh, and one day uh, when I didn't come home, he asked me, you know, what are you going to do about your drinking? And, and my thought was that he had to go. Because if you're in the middle of my drinking and using, you get removed. Because I fight for my right to get high and I fight for my right to drink at any, 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 under any condition. And, you know, for some reason that morning, um, I just said I was going to go back to a 12 step program and I went. And I was, I had just turned 
23, like a month prior. And I had no, had no intention of getting sober, none whatsoever, none whatsoever. And, um, and you know what, lo and behold, you know, um, something happened. I guess it was better than what was out there, you know, when I was drinking and using. And, you know, I came in and I had four warrants on me in four different counties. I hadn't had a valid driver's license in years. That was just your typical 20-year-old kid coming in the program. You know, just like everybody else. The only difference was I was all over the television. I was all over movies and I was on magazine covers, you know, but I was totally irresponsible. The only thing I could do is show up for work because I knew if I showed up for work, I had money to drink and use. That was it. It's the only thing I could show up for. Other than that, I couldn't show up for anything. And, um, you know, that's how I, that's how I got sober. Literally. That's how I got. And I walked in, I walked into a 12 step a 12-step meeting, March, it was March 14th, 1987. And March 15th was my sobriety day. Wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> wow. That's incredible. And you don't hear that story a lot of people. Well, obviously, you were in and out of the rooms there for a little while. But you don't hear that a lot of people that just decide to go to a meeting and then like, oh, I'm done. Like, that's that's an incredible, incredible story just to hear that. But so much trauma. And like you were talking about, like, we don't have, I, I found that most of us that are in the rooms, we don't have those coping skills. Like the, the drugs and the alcohol are what we have found. That's been our coping mechanism because we didn't know any other way to deal with life. We didn't know how to handle those traumatic events. We didn't know how to handle things not going our way. And that's part of that's part of the toolkit that we get as we work the steps. And as we go to meetings is we, we learn how to live life on life's terms. We learn how to cope with things in a more positive manner. And I'm the same way as you, where when I find something I like, I want as much of it as I can get, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, sex, money, whatever it is, I want more of it. If I like it, if it brings me pleasure, Right. I want as much as I can get. And it's like a obsession. I walk mm -hmm. in on whatever this thing is that I'm the flavor of the, of the month. And it's just like, boom, I want as much of that as I can get. Yeah. I believe, you know, someone told me a long time ago in our books, it says we are bodily and mentally different than other people. And that's where I'm mentally different. You know, I will do whatever it takes to change the way I feel. If I, if, I think I feel better. Now, the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, in, in sobriety and in recovery, I didn't know the difference between feeling better and just feeling normal. Mm. That took a long, long time to go, oh, this is what it's like to just be drama-free and trauma-free and not stirring the pot and, and being like, I talked about not being okay in my skin and being okay in my skin. You know, I was, I, you know, I work with a lot of women and I've coached and blah, blah, you know, whatever, you know, when you get, when you're sober a long time, you do it, you have a lot of great experiences. And, you know, one of the ones I always say to the, the young gals I work with is I wish you a slow recovery slow recovery 
And, and what I mean by that is that being able to take what I've learned and practice it has embedded recovery into my soul. But hearing it and repeating it has never worked. You know, we, you know, you've seen those people churn in out and churn in and churn out. So I was talking about how my coping skills were for, for even in early sobriety, you know, um, throwing and screaming and door slamming and putting holes in walls because I had a rage issue, not an anger issue. Um, because that was not only a coping skill, but that was also my release skill. That was my control skill. That was my skill to make you behave the way I think you should behave. You know? But when we take away some of that behavior, what are we left with? And then learn how to deal with that. So it's mm. like, it's a slow, slow process you know I go I grew up under everybody's eyes you know like you you know you came in young and so I came up and I did almost everything I did drinking in the rooms because that's where I learned I was like three when I walked in I threw tantrums I didn't know better mm-hmm. I, yeah yeah I like I like that I like that though going slow I, I say something similar to to guys that I sponsor and I I tell them it's all fine and good if you can come in the rooms for an hour and you can quote literature and you can speak well and, you know, share good quote. Unquote, right, but, right. but at the end of the day, it's what you do when you leave the rooms. It's how you act when you're not in the rooms. That's important. Like, I don't care that, that you can quote, quote out the literature and all that stuff for an hour and be this, put on this show of being a good person for an hour it's what we do outside. It's how we're living our lives. It's how we're implementing these spiritual principles in our lives and, and behaving in a different way than we did before. That's what's important. Not, not putting on a show for everybody for an hour. Cause I can be the best person in the world for an hour. I can put on that mask and pretend like I'm a saint for an hour, but if I'm not doing, if I'm not implementing the things that I'm learning in the rooms in mm-hmm. my life, I'm just mm-hmm. wasting my time. I'm wasting everybody else's time. Right. It's like when we were drinking, we could act like really good people for one hour. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. I could fool everybody. Thought I, they said, you're an alcoholic. You're kidding. I said, yeah, you didn't see me on the road. Yeah, I'd come home and I was trying to be the best I could, but I'm on the road. I'm just pounding them back. You know, I'm crushing it. So, but it's right. It's being, it's, it, it from, from me. It took a long time. I came here very sick little girl. You know, looking back, I was a really sick little girl. And um, it took a lot, a lot for me. It took a lot of step work, a lot of step work. I mean, so it's funny. I always tell the story. People always ask you about, you know, Donna, what about your spirituality? Where did you find God? And, you know, I didn't even really talk about spirituality for the first two and a half years I was sober. 
I had a really hard time because I had, I was shame-based and I was angry and I was, if you did the things I did, I hope you're not, I was just saying, I hope you're not sitting next to me when Cod comes down because you're going to zap me and fry your hair. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's what's going to happen. And you know what? I got to tell you about three and a half years sober, you know, I am running around in meetings and I'm, I've got a great career going on and I'm sponsoring people and I'm speaking and, you know, because I'm on TV, everybody wants me to do this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm running for president of recovery. And, you know, I'm doing, I mean, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, you know, and, and inside I'm dying. I am dying. And I'm, I'm telling people I'm dying. I'm not getting it. They said, you just keep doing this. You get, and I'm doing it and I'm doing it. And in three and a half years sobriety, you know, I remember I'm mentally different Though back then we said, you don't drink no matter what. That was the word. You don't drink no matter what. That's how the old time, sit down and shut up. That's how the old time she just talked to us. So I got that in my head. You don't drink or use no matter what. I got that part down. But at three and a half years sobriety, man, my head doesn't say to drink. It says, kill yourself, die, kill yourself, die. That's where my head was going at three and a half years. And, you know, back when I got sober, I keep going back, back. But like we didn't back then, those old timers, you didn't take, you know, um, uh, what are those? um, All those outside issues, the medications and all that, because they didn't consider you sober because your book says we only know a little. And back then they didn't know shit. You know, and they didn't consider you sober if you took anything. And I wasn't, I was not the best flower in the bed, man. I mean, I was not mentally stable. And you know, in a three and a half years, I'm thinking that's it. I am not happy. I'm not getting it. And I am working overtime to make my family happy and to do this and do that. And you know, and and at three and a half years, I remember that's it. My head goes die. Because my insights aren't matched, my outsides, I've got it all made. I've got the house, I've got the cars, I've got the career, I've got this. I'm, you know, I'm almost, I'm 26, 25, 26 years old, and I'm still dying inside, and I'm not getting God. I don't feel him. I don't, I'm not getting the spiritual side of the program. And so I go to 7-Eleven, and I buy some razor blades, you know, and I remember I get a call from my girlfriend, and back then we had those tape machines. I went, eh, leave a message, and my girlfriend calls up and goes, and Donna, what are you doing? And I pick up the phone. I said, you know, I'm ready to kill myself. So I'm ready to slip my wrist right now because I can't take this anymore. It's not working for me. And she says, hold on, I'm on my way. And, and you know, as God would see fit, she had a, uh, she, she was an intake counselor at a um, treatment facility. And she knew what to do with me. And she just wrapped me up and she took me over to a psych ward. And I'm like, and here I am, three and a half years sober, back in a psych ward. And, you know, and they're taking away my belts and my my, my uh, shoelaces. And I'm on a payphone. I got a nurse lighting a cigarette. And I'm calling the girls I sponsor, going, if you want what I have, you know, and I'm in total lockdown. And, you know, what, what happened there was something short of miraculous and you know, there was this man there who was 18 years sober and he was a priest or a pastor or a potter or a poet or he was some man of God. He was something. And, and he helped me work through some issues. And 
you know, what I learned there, and if, if anything I can share with people today, people go, Don, what's the biggest thing you learn in sobriety besides don't drink, don't use, work the steps, da, 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 all that. It was this, because I, I have a, I suffer from a spiritual malady. You know, I'm an old time 12 stepper and my book says I suffer from spiritual malady. And I was suffering severely from that spirituality at that time. And um, he had me do a lot of writing. And, you know, what I found out was, was that, one, I had my mom's face on my God, which meant that in order to be loved by my mom, I had to be perfect, or so I thought. Somewhere in my pea brain, I thought that, you know, I had to be the perfect model. And if I made enough money, if I flew around in their jets and I took her to New York and flew her to Hawaii where I was filming and all these things, she would love me. Right? That, so if I was only perfect and if I was perfect in a 12-step program then, and I was a perfect model and a perfect daughter, then God would love me. But what I found out there after doing all this work with this guy who was sober, I found out that I was just God's kid. And God made me perfectly imperfect. And by being perfectly imperfect, it gave me room to screw up. And when I screw up, where do I go now? I go to seek a higher power. And that's really what I'm supposed to do. And that's why I was made human and I wasn't made God. And that gave me room to grow spiritually. And so I think if there's anything that I share with people today, it says, you know, our book says that God doesn't make terms too hard with people who, who seek him. And, and it's always been in the seeking. And for me, that's, um, that's what I've had to do you know, and realize that I'm not perfect. I'm just made perfectly imperfect. And when I screw up, I go to him. And if I was perfect, I wouldn't need a God. And that's what I learned. And, and I turned a chapter on my sobriety. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I know a lot of people, especially early on, but I think even people with, with, with multiple years struggle with the spirituality side of 12-step of recovery and I know it can be difficult because we all have, or I, I'm not going to say we all, but a lot of us have baggage wrapped around religion and spirituality and stuff. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think that that's a, a could be very helpful for a lot of people that are listening. So I, I appreciate that. <laughs> it got, I had to get ugly like any alcoholic. It's got to get ugly before it gets good. I'm not letting go of anything. It's got, and it had to get ugly, but I learned about saving my ass versus my face. And I learned about being humble and I learned about humility and it's okay. It's okay. That's what I learned. It's okay. You know what? It's all right. You know, it's all right. If, if that's what we have to do, as long as, as long as I don't get high, you know what? I'm going to be fine. Yes. Yes. Well, Donna, we're getting towards the end of our time, but I would love to give you the opportunity to tell people that are listening about your book, about the column you write, some of the stuff that you're working on today. What I'm working on today is I have been writing a column for Recovery Today magazine, which is a monthly, bi actually, I think we went to bi-monthly now, a magazine that is free 
for all those suffering or big time in recovery called recoverytodaymagazine.com. You can get your free subscription just by typing that in and they will send it to you. It's a virtual magazine. We have great stuff in there. And I do an article called Naked Truth Boots on the Ground where I get to spotlight people who are um, out there with their feet plugged in the ground, really doing the work to save to save people who are dying of this disease. And that's what I love to showcase. I just love to showcase those people. You know, it's really easy to be a, a McMansion and charge a McMillion dollars to put people through treatment. But who's really doing the work out there to save those people? And that's why I get to spotlight. Also, I have a truth call, our book called Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. You can get it on my website, DonnaSpear.com, D-O-N-A-S-P-E-I-R.com. Or you can go right to Amazon and look up Donna Spear or Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear, and order it there. And you know what? Other than that, I am just enjoying life and having fun and working with others because that's my purpose. I love that. And I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and and sharing part of your story. And I mean, there's, there's just so many things that I think from your story that people can pull and relate to. And, and that's one thing that I love about recovery is that even though our stories may be different, we're all at the end of the day, we're all the same. You know, we've all been through similar situations. We've all had those, those feelings of, of, you know, low self-worth and, and not knowing where to go and, and feeling alone and feeling that desperation of like, how do I change? And there's just so many similarities to our stories. And I, I just appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing that with us. Oh, Brett, thank you so much. And I can't wait to hear about that second baby you got on the way. Yeah, we're excited. When's he or she due? She is due January of 2023. Wow, that's exciting. Well, congratulations if I don't talk to you before then. Uh, I appreciate that. You betcha. Anytime, anytime. Donna, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. And it was an absolute pleasure talking with you. If you guys are interested in her book or the articles that she writes for Recovery Today magazine, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.